Welcome to AZ TechCast, sponsored by Arizona Technology Council, with your hosts, Steve Zelstra and Karen Nowicki. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites leading experts to have real conversations about what is happening in the tech sector across the state of Arizona. From regional news to innovative startups, companies, and emerging technologies, AZ TechCast covers the critical issues and economic trends propelling the state's growing ecosystem. Thank you, JDH Insights, for being our 2021 Tech Advocate Sponsor. A leader in coaching and executive development, JDH Insights is committed to helping organizations cultivate and leverage their most important and complex asset, their humans. Visit JDHinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. Technology has always changed the way we live and work. Yet the transformations taking place today are truly unprecedented in their speed, scale, and complexity. While these changes may be unsettling to some, in Arizona, we have a different perspective. Where others see uncertainty, we see opportunities for innovation and exponential growth. Under Governor Ducey's leadership, our state has established a reputation as the best place to test, launch, and scale new ideas and new business models. Our focus in Arizona is on ensuring that government acts as a partner to private industry, not a barrier. Our success in achieving our mission has reflected in the many industry leaders who are doing business in Arizona. We have made it our mission to ensure our state is the best location for high-tech businesses to compete in the global economy. Welcome to AZ TechCast, brought to you by Arizona Tech Council, and we are in for a treat for an amazing conversation today. I'm Karen Nowicki, and while technology and innovation bring new solutions to life, it can sometimes result in unforeseen challenges and opportunities. Although the IT and cybersecurity industry is the fastest growing sector in the state, there are currently more than 7,000 unfilled cybersecurity jobs in Arizona alone. As a result of this exponential sector growth, many of Arizona's IT and cyber companies are faced with a huge talent gap. For Arizona to fulfill its destiny as a world-class tech hub, it will need to prioritize an outcome-driven approach to meet industry and employer needs in IT and cybersecurity. And our distinguished panel of tech leaders is going to tackle that conversation today for an engaging discussion on scalable solutions and comprehensive resources to not only address Arizona's tech talent shortage, but to create a digital destination to explore career opportunities, internships, apprenticeships, training programs, and scholarships to build the region's talent pipeline and close the gap between students and the industry. So with that, I'd like to have us all give a warm welcome to today's featured guests. We have... uh, Catherine Pappas, who's the Director of Workforce Strategy of Partnership for Economic Innovation and the Director of Pipeline AZ. Welcome to the show, Catherine. 
Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Great to meet you for the first time and also meeting me for the first time and, and having an opportunity to have Frank Grimmelman, president and CEO for the Arizona Cyber Threat Response Alliance. So glad you're here with us today, Frank. Thanks for being here. Pleasure to be with you. And we have back with us again, Dr. David Bowman has been with us a handful of times in a variety of shows, I think. So we've gotten to know each other over the three years that I've owned the studio. (laughs) Welcome back. Dr. Bowman is the provost of the University of Advancing Technology. Welcome back, sir. How wonderful being a great way to wrap up a week. I I agree. And I'm also ready for the weekend. I don't know about you. David and I were talking about that before y'all came on. It's like, it's it's one of those weeks. So let's have you each start, if you could, by introducing yourself. And Catherine, I'll ask you to start. Just tell us who you are, the role that you play, and and kind of how you landed in in this space. And once we have a chance to hear from each of you, we're just going to jump in and, and tackle this important conversation today. Wonderful. Thank you. I work with workforce uh, every day, uh, but in the capacity of partnerships through education, through economic development organizations, um, and through our industry partners. Um, So Pipeline Easy is really an initiative of the Partnership for Economic Innovation. We're on a mission to really connect people to careers and the learning that can help them along the way to advance within careers they currently have, which as we know is incredibly important given the unforeseen circumstances that we just embarked on this last year. So today, there's many resources and tools that exist in workforce. It's hard to know, you know where to go to really find that success. So we really act as a local platform in order to um, help users really learn practical skills and pathways um, and leverage their own personal strengths towards a career. Um, so really building a tool amongst and with the community and all the partners, it's really value-add to both industry and workers together uh, and to the broader education and workforce ecosystem. So we're all kind of utilizing the platform together to really unify that information. And rather than replacing the human coaching and support, it's really meant to complement both the work and staff of those organizations um, so that everyone can really um, coexist in this virtual world in a really um, effective way. And how did you land in that role, Catherine? So I landed in this role based on being within higher ed for many, many years and um, working in uh, workforce. I actually worked at Apollo Education Group in the capacity where we were building partnerships uh, nationally with different um, industry leaders like um, NAM, who's the National Association of Manufacturing. We used to build workforce strategies at a national level where we could um, pull in different entities, education entities, um, within the Apollo umbrella. So an example of that is University of Phoenix. And so we actually worked and aligned different programs within University of Phoenix to the National Association of Manufacturers Education Arm. So what that enabled is the ability for the workforce within manufacturing across the United States to go into any University of Phoenix and easily see where their skills um, within manufacturing were recognized by the industry and also transferable and applicable into degrees. Um, So it made it really easy for that workforce um, in those industry uh, leaders to really understand and, you know, perfect that conversation um, when they needed agility as that, you know, industry was changing. So that background um, within the higher ed world um, through workforce and really innovative workforce solutions led me to do the same kind of work in my own backyard and and within my community, which uh, I really love. Excellent. Thank you for the introduction. Frank, tell us a little bit about you and the work that you're doing. Uh, Two things that I think have context for our conversation today. I co-chair Governor Ducey's Arizona Cybersecurity Team, 
which is focused on a cohesive strategy for the state of Arizona to become the most cyber secure in the nation, and also to create the opportunity for business, furthering the we're open for business slogan of the governor, to be able to further that goal by creating an ecosystem which just in its own right is able to attract through collaboration the various people we need to fill the unfilled jobs in the state. ACTRA I founded back in 2013 and was founded as an offshoot originally from the FBI's Arizona InfraGuard program. However, we're wholly independent. As a result of that, it gives our members the ability, since they own the information, to control whom they share it with and how they share it. And I think that's a very important construct. So our role across the 16 critical sectors of United States Department of Homeland Security, which identify critical infrastructure, key resources within the state, is to empower our member organizations to empower themselves. We do this through both sharing information and facilitating response directly on the member organizations. We build that on three pillars. The first of those pillars is the culture. If you don't have trust, you don't have anything as a foundation. Secondly is technology, because we're all dealing at the speed of light and cyber, and therefore we have to be able to integrate actionable intelligence to the defense systems of our member organizations under their control and guidance. And then lastly, and a critical component is workforce. We talk about defense in depth, but the reality is if you have more complex systems without qualified people to be able to run those systems, it's actually a larger attack footprint. And as a result of that, uh, what we try to do is tie the three together with that heavy emphasis. I also co-chair Greater Phoenix Cybersecurity Workforce Collaborative. I think, again, what we're really trying to do is get that comprehensive picture through collaboration with the Tech Council, with the Commerce Authority, and the entire state to be able to address what we need for cybersecurity going forward. Fantastic. Thank you, Frank. Dr. Bowman. Yeah, I'm with UAT, and we're you know in our fourth decade uh, of education here in Arizona. And you know, just listen to uh, Frank and Catherine talk. I think there's, there's kind of a thread with all three of us that you know Arizona, while we're kind of a young state, the organizations that we're all we represent, a lot of other leaders represent locally, are, are we, we've got legs. We've been around for a while, and we're doing some really remarkable work. Uh, like you know, in Arizona, uh, people don't realize it, but. You know, the work that Frank did in the 90s, you know, was groundbreaking in terms of cybersecurity. I mean, it was people weren't talking about the term wasn't out there, you know, when he was you know, starting that up. Same thing with UAT. Uh, you know, when we, we were the first uh, nationally, first accredited uh, degree in cybersecurity back in the 90s. And, you know, this was pre-Y2K and before everybody knew about it. Uh, and it is one of those great things about being in Arizona is that I think we have a great culture here of, of organizations and people who care a great deal about just kind of figuring things out and, and, and working and, and just making things happen and not having to worry about too many rituals. And so that's, I think that's how I always celebrate everything with Arizona. As far as UAT, uh, 
you know, what we do is uh, pretty unique on the national landscape. We are a small private college. You know, we get the dorms and the quad and all that. But what we really focus on is building, uh, uh, you know, really strong individuals who can take a look at a technology problem and have both, obviously, the technology skills, but also the, the conceptual skills, the team skills, the business skills, um, and the thinking kind of skills to go ahead and say, okay, I think I know how to solve that and rapidly do solutions for it. And it's a very creative, energized place. I can't wait for freaking COVID to be over. Uh, so can, we got to kind of return to what we've had. But I'll give you an example of it. for our, our students. You know, they got to pass classes and they have to do internships so they can work. And all, all the students have to, you know, the graduate have to complete boards, which means that they have to stand in front of a panel of professors with artifacts of all the things that demonstrate they can do the degree, which is all great. Uh, but the, the coolest thing that every graduate has to do is they have to invent something, a working version of it. And yesterday, uh, and part of the reason I wasn't able to meet, meet with Catherine, uh, our students had the spring version of that. And so you're sitting in a room uh, or stream, Zoom stream at the moment, and you're watching all these students stand up and they're doing solutions. I got one student came up with this amazing application for a beautifully realized mobile app that had a steganographic solution, which means basically you hide it in pictures, um, for security. And what was really clever about it was it completely worked. And essentially what it did was it took all of your personal passwords and things like that and hid them inside of a picture in your photo album on your phone. And so if you think about it, it's like we all have millions of pictures. No one would think that, like, you know, only you know which one has, you know, the stuff in it. And, and so it's actually kind of hiding in plain sight. And they built a complete application that had a seamless transition into password security. And I had another student who did this really cool application of IoT and uh, where they built this, um, uh, it, was kind of, it was a reading light system for kids that basically had, it was IoT enabled and basically allowed parents to kind of track how much time they were reading physical books. And it was all part of an encouragement and monitoring of like, hey, look, how much time are, you, are, you know, are, are your kids doing things outside of working with uh, computers? And then I had another student who uh, was from Tecate, Mexico, and put together a completely realized system in conjunction with the, uh, the highway service of Tecate to use AI and camera systems to go ahead and monitor traffic backups and begin to automatically make adjustments to lighting and things like that, or streetlights, to, to alleviate uh, the traffic backups. And it was just like, I, you spend all day and you listen to these one after another. You know, these are all undergraduate students, not graduate students. It's just, it's a, what we do is really prepare people to like take technology that's emerging and, and tackle complex problems and leave and able to graduate the ground running, uh, which from Arizona workforce perspective, um, we bring in about 70% of our students from out of state, and and then we get them here, we get them very excited, we get them working on local puzzles, and, and then they stay. Uh, and so that's partly how we contribute to the local economy and just kind of solve that gap topic. Wonderful. So why then is there a shortage for IT and cybersecurity professionals? Like, how did we how do we get here? Everything that you're working on seems so paramount, but also effective. Why do we have a shortage? I, I'll, I'll tackle one side of it, and I think Catherine could probably run with the other side of it. Part of it is uh, we live in a unique time. I mean, we're uh, these new technologies that are rolling in front of us. Like, like we casually talk about how many things you know have an AI dimension to it. You know, that's a big deal. Uh, you know, we casually talk about five G rolling out. 
which then drives IoT devices, which drives smart devices, which now means everything needs to be secure, which drives what Frank's world is. It's just we live in a time when, you know, we've got, you know, AI driven copters lifting off the surface of Mars and we have private businesses routinely sending people to space stations. There's just more new technology now than there ever has been before. That's driving one half of it. And Catherine can probably talk about the other half. Yeah, I mean, there. I'm just going to agree with you and say, you know, I think part of what uh, um, we've been seeing is just the the change in how everyone's doing business with cloud, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that cloud has become and all the enterprises that you know it, it, any sort of industry is utilizing have a cloud, you know, storage system now. So the proliferation of cloud has made the data environments exponentially more complex. Um, so, so therefore, you know, how do we, and then the offer for many companies is integrating their clouds in those sources immediately uh, means then securing them, right? So, so now we have this, you know, completely new world of, of jobs, right? Um, and so, so yeah, at the same time, you know, there's people... Um, within Dave's, you know, organization and, and other, you know, places that are looking at how do we how do we connect to those types of skills, um, and so really looking at both the supply and demand, um, it's all around, you know, how do we poise ourselves to be in a position that we can like more quickly provide the right type of training. So I think just because of the the increase, you know, amount of demand. Um, for all these, you know, cloud-related opportunities has has really left us in a place where we need more instructors. Uh, we need more types of training opportunities. Um, how do we deliver those? You know, are there are there other modalities and other versions of you know training that we can um, position? And then how do we how do we create more awareness to you know kids in middle school and high school that are thinking about those opportunities? How do we expose women, you know, more people to get interested in tech-related jobs? What does that look like? So um, I think it's it's really like when you ask about the start of it, um, you know, I, I agree with you. There is there's a lot of, of differences uh, in the world because of, of cloud. Um, and then I'm sure Frank would add to this because, you know, in his world of perspective, that's really the... Um, the reason cybersecurity is is so important today, and I think so prevalent in Arizona. I think uh, that as we take a look at it, we really need to look beyond our own borders and look at it in the context of the world itself and the increasing reliance on technology, integration of technology with our lives, which been which both Dave and Kathleen have alluded to. But that context holistically is that we have had 0% unemployment in cybersecurity since 2011. Prior to that, cybersecurity was something that was considered, but it was never really focused on. We take a look at the New York Times, their projection is 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity positions worldwide this year. And that's up from a million in 2014. So that kind of gives a quantitative base to the qualitative statements where we all realize what IoT has done and all of the other components. When we have candidates applying, the other problem is one in four are qualified for the jobs. So we have seen, for example, within the chamber, uh, five years of experience required 
go to a year or two years of experience simply because there aren't enough candidates with five years of experience to go into the job. With the 7,000 unfilled positions here in Arizona, we are looking at that against a currently employed workforce of 14,600. So 30% of our cybersecurity jobs today are unfilled. And it's simply because of supply and demand, as was stated. So we are then on top of it because of COVID and moving more to remote workforces, competing with all of the other states. Let's just focus on the United States for a minute. You have the big uh, areas of cybersecurity today, or cyber, I should say, which are Virginia, Texas, Colorado, New York, North Carolina. And they can now hire people from Arizona because we train them well. And effectively, vice the other side is we can look outside of our borders as well for the proper talent. But again, finding it is the issue when we're at a 0% unemployment rate for so long. So this overall demand, the exponential integration of technology in our daily lives, and the inability to have strong K through 12 and college STEM programs have put us at a competitive disadvantage to have the general IT force, but most importantly, cybersecurity force that we need in this country and in Arizona specifically. So what can be done then to encourage, and let's start with the middle school, high school age to pursue careers in IT and cybersecurity. I, I was a third grade teacher for years and an assistant principal in the Kyrene School District. Math and science was not my strong suit, but I knew enough to know that I had to bring experts in and get those kids jazzed and excited about and help their minds begin to move in that direction when it was an area that I was not good at. And I, I think that's I think that it's not untypical, at least at the elementary level. I taught back in the 90s, so maybe things have progressed that the training's better and that sort of thing. But what what do you think can be done to encourage more students, middle school and high school age, to pursue careers in IT and cybersecurity? What are we doing and what do we need to do more of or differently? I, a couple of things that are good news on is this is a conversation that locally has been pretty heavily, like, like been thinking hard on this for a good five to 10 years. Um, and so Right now, we're beginning to see the output. Because you realize that the thing about K-12 is it's, it's, it's like, you know, making wine or whiskey. It takes a long time to, you know, like to, to get the fruits of your labor. Uh, the, uh, but, you know, some of the things people have been working on are having the conversation about being in STEM areas, not feeling so mathy. Um, you know, like, and again, it's, it, you know, it, obviously there's math and science that are key to it, but if you're, you've already sold the concept to the people who are natural affinities towards pure mathematics and pure science. The reality is, is that for a majority of the jobs in STEM field, they don't necessarily require that level of mathematics. It actually winds up being much more of a design and build and creative and teaming you know, process. I mean, there's, you know, there's as many jobs in business and development and, and those kind of things that are stimulated. And so you got to find ways to have people see that or the young adults see that in middle school um, so that, you know, they don't make that natural correlation of, well, I'm not hugely fond of trigonometry. I must not, be, I won't be good at that. You have to kind of break that one. The other, the real obvious thing is, too, is you have to really focus in and draw in 
uh, individuals who don't look like, you know, like nerdy guys, um, you know, which is my bread and butter. You know, I, I was an absolute nerdy guy. Uh, I'm sure that my, my mom somewhere has in a chest of drawers a picture of me, you know, playing D&D when I was in high school. Uh, but the thing is, you know, if, if we're going to fill the workforce, you've got to reach out to women, young women. You've got to reach out to people who are have different diverse perspectives. And you've got to, you know, tune to what they're looking for. And you're seeing some progress in it, but the way you talk about it and who talks about it and the kind of activities you bring in, you, you just, you've got to find those folks. And, I, and there's been some wonderful women in tech you know, initiatives the last several years that from our side, we're seeing benefit of. In the last two years, we've seen probably in the area of about a 10% increase in women who are enrolling with us. Um, and, and that's a good sign. Uh, but there's a, a tremendous amount of ways to go with it. Uh, uh, those are a couple. I got a couple more, but I don't want to dominate the conversation. Catherine, what would you suggest? <laughs> I love it. Completely agree with you in that, you know, we, we've definitely put a lot of effort into how we really connect our ecosystem, how we're really thinking about, I hate to say it this way, but farming talent. Mm-hmm. Because it's important, like the seeds that we're planting now become, you know, like you said, the fruits of our labor. So, to speak. Um, you know, I would say that we are you know, we, we really looked at this last year um, from Pipeline Easy's perspective at, at taking a, a group of education leaders. Um, we brought them to the table and um, we asked them to help us address barriers to career readiness. And we really wanted to understand how we could help, you know, bring that information to industry and employers to really think about some of those maybe short-term or solutions that may be right in front of us. So, um, during COVID, that was one thing that we had the opportunity to do, which was really good. So as three you know, key takeaways to what Arizona re- needs right now, um, they were equitable access to career exploration, singular, having a singular shared technology infrastructure to find information and resources. And then um, thirdly was needing a feedback loop between industry and educators. Um, so these three things became like the critical barriers to career readiness. So when you look at, you know, um, that age group, middle school and high school, what we also found is we were looking across and really identifying the challenges to the career readiness. We started to look at, you know, what does someone go through when they're thinking about a career? You go through sort of this developmental, right, approach to careers. It's Okay, I'm being exposed to a career. So there's the awareness and then you're exploring. So then you go through the exploration phase. Then you go through, okay, what if I actually dive into the career? You go into the development, then you go into the applicability and then you place into a career. That's kind of the cycle that we repeat over and over again. Adults go through when they're re-careering, right? So it's kind of a sequential process. Um, But for kids and specifically looking at high school and middle school, there's different challenges that we have. You know, not all teachers are equipped with the same information and resources or tools to know how to do that. And, you know, we have 900 kids to one school counselor. So those are the kinds of things that, you know, we just look at at a high level. You know, we're trying to address um, as a as a whole community, you know, across the state. But ultimately, you know, if you kind of think tactically, you know, what can we do in these age groups? I mean, definitely STEM career awareness, thinking about community events, exposing you know, rural areas, women, like Dave mentioned, thinking about extracurricular programming, you know, what things can we do to kind of have some excitement around what these careers really look like and the, the great industries that are coming to, to our state. 
um, looking at, you know, really enhancing the career exploration, like that content, you know, can we do things where it's more immersive, uh, having more industry input, have more industry driven learning experiences. What Dr. Bolden mentioned in terms of some of those great concepts and uh, through the projects that the students were developing and showcasing is hugely important. So, you know, educators are looking for industry to get more involved in terms of, you know, give us some real world problems that we can solve so that you can see that applicability. You know, it's just about connecting the skills that are really needed. I think that's an interesting idea. Like, like sometimes I, like, I ponder about how we could fix things. I, I try to start with, if you had to start from ground zero and build from scratch, what would you do? Yeah. And, and one of the things I would do is I wouldn't talk about STEM about, you know, specifically about math and science initially, you know, and I wouldn't show images of just people walking around jobs. You know, what I would do instead is I would start with like, these are the cool things you can build. You know, like, like if you talk about cyber, you know, that's, you know, the puzzle solving of cyber is really fascinating. And then also there's an awful lot of, and you know, it, it is titled law enforcement, but I think if you're a high school student or middle school, you may not realize that it has this sort of like it's the kind of person who wants to be working law enforcement, they might want to be in cyber because it's a similar kind of thing where you have a, this sort of sense of protection. You know, you're trying to, you know, to keep people safe. Uh, and I think talking about what you're doing as an adult to middle schoolers in terms of this is the fun stuff that is the reason why people do the jobs. You know, I think that's more important at that age than worrying about, you know, the nuts and bolts of what's under the hood. They'll get to that, you know, naturally, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, backward engineer it, right? Technology itself is actually helping us in that because mm -hmm. it's so ingrained in everybody's life. And if I take a look at my kids, my grandkids, it's generational. They're all on their devices, right? So cyber has gone from something that was when we were growing up geeky mm -hmm. to now being cool and part of the mainstream. And when you really know the cyber and how to utilize it, it becomes fun. Mm -hmm. So it gets to the selling of, you know, even in the K through 12, the notion that if you love what you're doing, you never have to work a day in your life because you're just doing what you enjoy. So instilling enthusiasm, passion into the K through 12, Dave had some great comments on that by engaging them in things. We've also seen recent examples we're highly underrepresented, particularly in cybersecurity, by women in the workforce. So the Girl Scouts of America have their cybersecurity badges now. And I mean, again, not only is it cool, but you're rewarded. And then you take a look at some of the cool things you can do, like go to NSA cybersecurity camp. You want to be James Bond? Here you go. And you are able then to go to these uh, what they call cybersecurity cryptobot camps. They're highly competitive, but that is producing the next generation. And we're doing it by gamifying things, making them fun, challenging the imagination. So rather than go out and learn the, the things from scratch, as we used to do, just as Dave said, let's give them a challenge. And in order to meet the challenge, they then have to understand the foundation principles that will allow them to succeed. And by doing that, I think we can really begin to mesh it into our society at an early age. 
I, I mention on occasion, especially when I'm co-hosting this particular show with Steve, that I've got a 13-year-old. He's going in eighth grade next year and, uh, of course, loves to game. He's also an athlete, pretty smart kid. And, and I, I'm trying to encourage him to... I don't mind that he is a consumer of technology, but I also want him to be a creator. And we talk about that difference. That's the teacher in me that says, listen, it's one thing to consume. Like, what does it look like when you're a consumer of technology? And and how is that different from the other activities that you can do where you're creating and you're, you're interacting and you're learning about it? And I think those are the conversations as parents that we have to have uh, in addition to our educators. So I'm thrilled to hear that. And then I would be remiss. I, I hear Steve on my shoulder saying to me, be sure to talk about SciTech Institute, right? So we we have Dr. Babendor and Kelly Green um, who are um, in, in, you know responsible for SciTech Institute, which is the foundation that comes out of Arizona Technology Council. And I, I'm, I'm, I know the three of you already know this, but for our listeners who may not know, and and they they work right here out of Max Six where my studio is located, and they also do their show STEM Unplugged, and they do exactly what you all are talking about. They're really having these incredible conversations, bringing women and women you know in manufacturing, advanced manufacturing, and cybersecurity, and and men as well, and and having these kids have these conversations. So we typically have a CSO, a, a chief science officer, sit with Kelly and co-host the show and interview these magnificent professionals about what are they working on now and get these kids excited about it. And that program has grown grown from just being local here in Arizona to now all over the country and several different countries outside of the U.S. So shout out to the great work that Arizona Tech Council is doing on behalf of STEM and STEAM education and uh, really trying to, you know, close that gap. Well, on, on that, this is a great, the CSO program is a great example of Arizona leadership because like the key magic in that is they find these high school students who are your STEM, they're your classic STEM folk. But, you know, and of course they give them STEM experiences, but the main focus is teaching them how to be evangelists for it. So they're out seeding it. And that I think is from the day one when Jeremy launched that program, I've just been in love with it because he's finding a way to harness that. And that's how, you know, that's one of the tools that's going to build the STEM population over time and change people's perceptions about what it is to be in STEM. It's a that's a killer program. I love it. Yeah, they're doing great things and a great role model for obviously educators and other organizations like AC Tech Council around mm-hmm. around the globe. Really, uh, so let's talk a little bit. I, I know uh, Frank, you mentioned the the deficit that we have in cybersecurity. Are there other specific jobs that are most in demand in the Arizona tech se- sector that we really need to to fill those positions, or is it really strictly cybersecurity at this point? No, I think it is across the host. Uh, when we look at additive manufacturing, for example, uh, we're growing very heavily in there. Dave mentioned early on artificial intelligence, machine learning. When we take a look at the technology hub we have created in attracting the uh, autonomous automobiles and that to the state, all of these things are necessary. We also are attracting the components we need during the pandemic, silicon chips became a major concern in terms of being able to get them. They've held up production, they've held up delivery of a number of things because chips are in just about everything we deal with, sometimes to our detriment, as I can tell you with my vacuum cleaner. But uh, the bottom line is we we have a significant amount of, of excuse me, I thought I had turned that off. No, I did. We, um, 
was going to say that we have a significant amount of jobs. Our focus is predominantly in cybersecurity, and that's because it's been the hardest hit STEM field. And overall, STEM jobs have increased 13% over the next decade. By 2018, 4 million STEM jobs are expected in the U.S. And when you begin to think about those, the numbers is staggering what we need to do. And I think that we need to begin to think of it as a supply chain problem where we're, we've been focusing a lot on the K through 12 in our discussion. And that's very, very important. But we have also identified the middle managers. That's a very challenging thing. And we have put together some specific programs with the chamber to address that. Uh, so you have entry level, you have the middle management, and then you have the more senior staff. When we get down to the specific jobs, the answer is cybersecurity engineers are in the highest demand. Following that are the analysts. The cybersecurity consultants become very important, as well as network engineering and architects, the software development engineers, so that we are baking cybersecurity as we're developing software, not introducing cybersecurity as an afterthought to software development. Vulnerability manager, uh, I'm sorry, vulnerability analysts and pen testers are very important. But again, that's not, uh, you know, the only thing missing, but that can have a cool effect where I want to be a hacker. And I think that begins to focus on both on the K through 12 and the question you just asked on the need to make sure we have productive outlets for the most creative people. If we don't, the most creative are going to find themselves in trouble because they don't have the challenge within appropriate context to do something. They're going to go out and they're going to try to hack the DOD, for example. We've seen it. And the bottom line is they then end up marring their careers and the opportunities for the future, not realizing that our actions today have consequences. So the job opportunities are across the board, but uh, and the pay scales are all very good. These are high-paying jobs right out of school, entry level. So the consequence becomes being able to channel people to that. And again, I think that passion and enthusiasm are what make the success of creating that bridge. You know, the Bureau of Labor, um, they put out our kind of a rolling five-year analysis on, on job trends in tech. And to kind of support what Frank was saying, their most recent one is showing that an area of secure, secure code, secure applications and cloud, that the, the job growth of the next five years is 164%. And yeah. so if you take a look at where we are right now in terms of deficit, you know, the pressures, we're, we're going to be playing a catch-up game for a while. So, you know, the, the good news, bad news of it is, is there's no shortage of jobs, nor will there be. And they will continue to be like some of the most desirable, interesting jobs you can imagine. I th- think there's one other component too, Dave, and that is the creative work you're doing in the AI areas and that. Because to the extent that we can operationalize, automate, and orchestrate things, we take the drudgery out of cybersecurity, Mm -hmm. begin to free intelligent minds up for critical thinking. 
that's where the analysts, the people should yeah. be spending their time. And I'm going back to your earlier comment. People like puzzles if they're in this field. They want to solve things. So let's give them what they yeah. want. And by taking the drudgery out, now you're not burned out. You're putting your focus on how do we improve and take it to the next level. I think I would add is, um, you know, thinking about some of these different roles, I'm just going to stick with some of the um, cloud specifics since I feel like that's kind of what's sticking out. There's no single program or, you know, action that's going to really bridge that, right, across all of the cybersecurity skills that are needed. Um, because again, we just have too few practitioners like in the field. Um, but there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of ways we can kind of think about, you know, to Frank's point, re-examining re how we identify and recruit talent and really explore, you know, the value of what those skills really are and the aptitude. So embracing people who have an aptitude for what security jobs could be to mm -hmm. tap into the, to the passions. Um, even if they lack verbal training, you know, what are those entry points? What could new entry points look like? Those apprenticeships, those internships, really focusing on getting and identifying the right candidates with the right motivation, right? Yeah. Regardless of how full the resumes are, so to speak. But how can we as industry leaders and community leaders commit to training and helping them grow? Just amplifying those pathways and opportunities um, to really support them professionally. Yeah, actually, I like that because one of the things that Steve talks about quite a bit is, you know, like college, we're not going to be able to solve this just through college degrees. And, you know, that finding ways to have path, you know, pathways that occur directly from high school, either through apprenticeships, you know, or just straight up like rapid skill activities. You know, one of the things that I, if I had like a, a wish for at the K through 12 would be finding ways to do sort of like what EBIT does and Westmec does in more places where, you're finding juniors and seniors and you're skilling them up to kind of redefine what entry means. And so they can leave high school and be working in tech jobs, you know, rather than working just, you know, kind of a classic fast food or whatever kind of job, having a job in tech that pays them a slightly better salary. So they're on their feet more. If they then choose to go to college, you know, they have less debts, you know, it's, it's just a way to broaden broaden out who goes in and get people in more quickly. And also I think for areas that aren't, that don't typically associate themselves with going to college, this is a way you can get them to begin thinking about it. You can say, look, maybe you're not thinking about college, but you know, if, if you're in high school and you pick up some JavaScript or you pick up some, some fundamental you know, network skills, you know, you can get something right out of high school that will get a toe in the door and get, you know, and, and get you a job, you know? And I think that's, I think the college pipelines, we're, we're, we're on a track. If I was going to put energy at a community level, I would put a ton of energy right there. Because um, I think that's, that, that's where you're going to pick up people who aren't thinking about it. Absolutely. And I think I will go back to, you know, looking at industry and asking for more input there. And the mm -hmm. reason I say that is because, you know, that's, that was one of the things that we found in doing that education leadership group work where, you know, we were surveying like what what is missing from what you do every day in order to provide that career readiness and industry input. But taking it a step further, um, look at the relationship that um, we now are seeing come to fruition with Amazon Web Services coming to the state of Arizona and forming a partnership with the Arizona Commerce Authority um, and, and our governor, which is enabling 
increased access to cloud computing, which is exactly what we need. So there, right now, it's happening where there are more practitioners being trained across the state of Arizona. So we're now like starting to transition to have the opportunity to present and implement uh, AWS Academy and educate programs, um, which is really fantastic. So now more certifications and you know diverse you know learners are starting to come into the pipeline for those roles that are really in demand in cloud level roles mm-hmm. right here in Arizona, which is fantastic. Um, so what other you know what other types of you know not only industry partners, but actual programs can we start to think about just to be immersive in that way? Um, so work-based experiences, um, having employers and industries come to the table with problems that I know educators would love to solve. Uh, again, I go back to what you shared at the beginning, Dave, that was um, exactly the way in which I think we can start getting our hands on, having more agility with um, the exposure and the training. For what we've been doing with the chamber, one thing I think Arizona has excelled at is building a bridge between the business community and the educators and being able to focus the education on what the companies need in order for the those who are coming out of the programs to be productive, whether it's a degree-seeking program or a certificate, doesn't really matter. But the key is that it aligns the need of the businesses who are going to hire the students with what we're educating them in. And I think we've made some great strides in that and are continuing to do so and need to do it. But the one I know across our member organizations, the biggest thing they want is the experience hands on. Mm -hmm. So the bottom line, the apprenticeships, the internships, uh, you know, other creative means yeah. of giving that hands-on training, including our cyber ranges. Yeah. That becomes very, very important because then you're doing it, not talking about it. And I can tell you there are a lot of CIOs out there who couldn't rack and stack because they've never done it. So when you're in there doing it, that's how many of us learned. And it's the best lessons we take away. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'm interested in is your your opinions. Um, we focus a lot in, particularly now that everything's automated, and Catherine, this is right in your area of expertise, on uh, trying to pigeonhole people into boxes. So do you have a certain degree, a certain certification, et cetera? Not what do you know that you may have taught yourself that have nothing to do with a degree or certification. And there is a phenomenal untapped group of people in that regard. I remember one individual from Costco. Uh, he had worked there for 10 years on a cash register, uh, hated his job, wasn't happy with his life. He decided to quit the job, went on to a range for a period of eight months, became self-taught. Two years later, he was the night supervisor at one of the major universities in the cyber area. So some of the people have the natural ability, it's innate and they have the functional capability, but not the degree. So I wanna really seek your opinion on that. What's what's your thoughts on that? How do we bridge that gap? (laughs) So I think you're talking about connecting the dots between your passions and skills to um, what you might be suited to do. 
Um, and that's exactly what um, the platform is really designed to do. So, you know, a lot of what we've been building alongside the community and all of the partners that are rallying around um, working with Pipeline is, you know, becoming more of sort of a digital location for information. So think of us like air traffic control for content. Um, however, as people are coming into the platform, career explorers, job seekers, students, the idea is they come in and ungated, the information is there for them to see what industries are in my backyard, what career opportunities are around the corner, what's standing between me and that career, what education and training is just going to enable me to take that next step. So we actually um, are creating an IT cyber network. Um, it's going to be really, it's set to launch in mid-May in partnership with the uh, Arizona Tech Council. Specifically, this is going to hone in on what those IT cyber roles look like here. But career pathways, anything that's in demand, you know, usually is going to require someone to have a good assessment about what their skill sets are. Those get lost in translation when you're on a job board or when you're trying to compose it a resume because we have a certain way that we write resumes. And then it goes into an applicant tracking system, which then picks up keywords. So therein lies part of the challenge of people trying to find jobs because we're working in a box. So instead, what um, Pipeline does and what we're trying to do as we work across the community is build a network. It's really based on skills. Everything is skill-based. So you come into the platform, and as you're exploring and looking, you're trying to understand where your skills are applicable right now, and you can do that. You can also look at what's standing in between you and what that career is in terms of skills. So we work with UAT. We work with Maricopa Community College District. We work with Arizona State University, all the different providers so that someone looking for these opportunities and where their passions could, you know, lead them. And they can see what options they have in terms of skilling up to be qualified to get their foot in the door, what scholarships, you know, may be available, but things of that nature. Um, so we're trying to really hone in on all of these components so that people, as they're dreaming and thinking about what a career looks like um, in an in-demand world, that we can match them to those opportunities. You, know, you used a phrase earlier, uh, re-career, and I think that's another place that we could do the community a favor by rethinking it a little bit. And say, you know, for you know, what you're saying, Frank, like for a lot of these jobs, you know, if you're somebody who has a degree or you're just an adult uh, and has life experiences, going back to school and getting a, an associate or bachelor may not seem like the right fit. Maybe you already have one, or you're just not a place you can do it, and so you don't even consider yourself for these fields. I think one of the things that we could do to fill this job gap is to find more ways to talk about and make it easy for adults to re-career. And it may involve some funding opportunities. It may involve different kinds of educational offerings. You know, it's, you know, like things that aren't a degree, but are essentially, you know, like these kind of certificate style modules, but meaningful ones that say, look, you know, you, you know, you've never worked in cyber, but I can certainly tell that you, you know, you are great at puzzle solving. You love solving puzzles. You want to stop doing what you're doing right now, you know, and we will run you through some training and we'll just move you more quickly because, you know, you're an adult, you know how to do it. Um, there's a huge untapped, you know, segment of our population that we could move into STEM jobs faster 
then we can move somebody to the K through 12 system. And I think that's an opportunity in terms of like programs and models that would help the community. So that leads the me to ask. Of that, that, uh, we're extremely proud of was working with Senator McCain's office during his last days. And we were focusing on what's called Arizona Skill Bridge, which is the transition of military personnel into civilian and government jobs. And there were tremendous incentives to the company to support that. Number one, supporting your military and your nation. But number two, Uncle Sam would pay for the first six months for that person to intern with you, receive additional education, fill gaps, whatever. Uh, they also, we, we piloted that together with the chamber and through one of our member organizations, Tucson Electric Power, who had taken a leadership role. And then with the coalition of military families, going back to the collaborative aspect, that was totally transitioned to them. They run it today. And it continues to be very robust and very successful in placing military where they're needed in some very hard to find jobs. And we have been able, uh, through member organizations, to attract people out of Hawaii to come to Arizona in the summer, I might add. <laughs> essentially, you. Uh, you know, these were high-level engineering architects that really are hard to find and in short supply. So I think creative jobs like that, apprentice, addressing the existing people who are skilled at what they do, but need to further develop their middle management skill set, possibly communication skills and other things to round them out as a person, gives them a better career opportunity and allow them to play a different role at a different level within their organizations. So that apprentice program is specifically targeting that middle management level. And again, another source of resources, it's not always thinking about you know, the educational side alone, but how do we repurpose, as was stated, the people that are already within that supply chain as part of their career paths? Can you believe we're already at the top <laughs> of the hour? I promise you it would go very quickly. Uh, but there's a couple of, of, of questions I want to ask as we kind of round it out. We'll just keep our responses brief and maybe there'll need to be a, you know, chapter two at some point. I, one thing that I'm thinking as we're chatting is I have an opportunity to, to interview a lot of business owners in the Valley, and oftentimes we have recruiters and folks who own, you know, tech recruiting agencies. I can't help but wonder what you're sharing in the way in which we're, you know, I think uh, Dave had mentioned it, where we're saying, hey, must have four years or six years experience. Is there is there a missing link with our recruiters and the way in which companies say that they are, you know, are they at the table with us when we're having these conversations about the skill set and and this deficit, maybe we just need to bring more of those folks into the conversation as well. I mean, you know, no, it's bigger than that. But are they at the table with us having these conversations, the recruiters and the folks who are writing the actual job descriptions? They are. Uh, with the chamber, we specifically bring in from the companies that segment. One of the challenges within any of the technology jobs is the departments are the ones who are hiring but they're doing it through the HR departments. And while the, and particularly with the question you ask, how do we take that skill set versus, you know, just the degrees or something and translate it? Mm-hmm. I think that's a challenging thing, which Catherine answered eloquently earlier. 
Namely, you know, we need to look to the technologies and a different way of approaching it in the way we categorize and create a taxonomy for the data that we provide. And then your question focuses on the other side, which I'd like to go back to Catherine on as well. And that is, are the, how do we educate, for lack of a better term, human resources departments and others to understand how to utilize the new tools and embrace them? Yeah, you're, um, <laughs> I was thinking exactly what you were just describing in my head that um, there's, a, there's a real opportunity in every day as we're talking with employers. They're typically, the roles that come in, the people that are posting those roles are not necessarily the people that are hiring for them, but that's just, right, that is their job. Um, so it's sometimes lost in translation, so to speak. Um, but it's now more than ever more important for companies to look at their own internal talent development um, and what that looks like. You know, what kind of you know what kind of skill sets enable someone to get their foot in the door in your organization? What are those skills? And literally building your own model, just like IT is like built in terms of a learning opportunity. You stack those skills. If as an organization, as an entity, you have some of those skills sort of like worked through. And then you start to have this capability to align with your HR team in a way where, you know, skills become that bridge, right? So what does it look like when I go from this role, this role? So IT encompasses so many different roles. There's still, you know, marketing, there's still, right, other roles inside of IT. So it's not so specific. But when you start talking in terms of skills um, and really re-educating people that are posting positions to not necessarily, you know, sometimes they're excluding the right candidate because they're saying, I need to have a bachelor's degree, okay? Or I need six years of experience in this particular, you know, type of program, Python, or whatever that is. And you're actually going to exclude candidates that would be more willing or trainable, you know what I mean? And so, and so that's part of it. We just have to understand what those linkages are. Um, and then, you know, we can hone in more importantly on how we can train and provide opportunities for people to find the talent and that they're willing to train. Um, but it's just getting a better grasp on, on the vernacular. I think there's been uh, one other thing that we really haven't talked about that's been our worst enemy historically in Arizona. And that has been the siloing of efforts where I know I used to be out in the Silicon Valley. I had my own startup companies out there. When people would come in to raid the companies from Arizona, they had many great stories, but it was not a, uh, a single story. It was many different stories. And we've gone a long way, interrupted by COVID, I might add, with the Arizona cybersecurity team, Governor Ducey's effort, where we created a cohesive roadmap for leveraging public and private sector by providing it in seven recommendations that came out. And that was a very inclusive program. We had 23 agency personnel, including FBI, DHS, uh, Homeland Security was there, uh, a variety of people, public and private sector, and then subcommittees which were very inclusive, which allowed us to come up with recommendations on enhanced information sharing, strengthening of incident response, centralizing cybersecurity threat awareness at a policy level, decreasing risk, public online protections, because consumers are all the ones 
at risk as well, not just the corporations. But the key thing that came out of that, a lot of the focus and work that's continuing to be done, uh, example with ASU and its uh, Department of Labor grant that it just received, is focusing on the entire thing of improving the educational programs, getting the students interested, getting the faculty that can teach, and being able to move that forward in support of the work and the great work that you all are doing. So I think that once again, if we can collaborate, put our heads together, there's so much to be done and nobody can do it all. We need to do it together. And on that note, let's close with just kind of a lightning round as to how can companies, so those professionals and educators that are listening now, how can they get more involved? I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer. Make sure you connect with the Arizona Technology Council. But where else do we need them? Where does the conversation start and how can they get involved in the projects that you're all working in? Dave, can you start with us? Yeah, I think the uh, you know, the Commerce Authority is always a great place to start as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I also I look to things like we're wrapping up this week, Phoenix Startup Week. Uh, you know, like the community events that bring technologists together. I think are, are once you get there, you discover quickly, just like we did at the beginning of this meeting. We all kind of know each other, mm-hmm. and and we're usually very willing to help. So that, that's the place I would look. Excellent, Catherine. Suggestion as well. Yeah, I mean, certainly reach out to uh, us over at Pipeline AC, um, but overall, um, and the Tech Council as we're building the specific IT cyber hub. And, you know, I think I will just say what Arizona needs right now, in addition to that collaboration, completely agree. Um, And I think we do a pretty good job of it, but we can do an even better job of it by just having like a strategic plan, right? And because I know... Everyone needs that equitable access right now to career exploration and placement. How can we help? We can do that by having the, the feedback loop amongst all of us and putting that um, those priorities into a sustainable plan where we can really bridge that industry, education, and people that are dreaming about careers. We can really bridge that gap. Thank you. Frank, what would you add? I would add in this area, the Chamber's work with the Arizona IT and Cybersecurity Workforce Collaborative, uh, get involved, join that subcommittee, because we've now merged together cybersecurity and IT, but still keeping the lanes and the roads separated as the focus, because they're complementary, but very different. Secondly, go to azcybertalent.com, which is a unified space to find out everything related to IT, and it's generic. It's not under anybody's banner. And then lastly, involve yourself in the existing workforce development programs. They're proven, they're working, and I'm talking things like we mentioned, SkillBridge, Apprenti, and the Elevate EDAZ. And those are the programs that are going to take us, I think, to the next level. But it's like everything else in life. You get out of it what you put into it. So engage. Great place to to end our conversation today. And again, I know we could go on for hours, but I'll let you free. It's Friday afternoon. We have certainly covered a lot of ground and I'm so appreciative of each of you being here and sharing your wisdom, your insight, and obviously the connections that you have and the alliances. I'm always impressed with our Arizona uh, ecosystem, how willing we are to say, hey, I need your help or can you help us? It's a fantastic uh, state to live in. You've been listening to AZ TechCast brought to you by Phoenix Business Radio 
X. Today's AZ TechCast was brought to you also by Arizona Commerce Authority, the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. Thank you again so much, Arizona Commerce Authority. We deeply appreciate you. And many thanks as well to JDH Insights, the 2021 Tech Advocate Sponsor. Visit jdhinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. If you're interested in being a podcast participant or a sponsor for the Council's AZ TechCast, please contact marketing at aztechcouncil.org to lock in your opportunity to further position you as a tech expert, an influencer, or an innovator. Some media leans left, some lean right, and we lean business. Until next time, I'm Karen Owicki. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.